0: The power to change themselves and the world around them is inside them. It's not in the power,
1: it's not outside forces around you, it's inside you. Welcome everyone to the Driving Vision Podcast brought to you by the Ziegler Auto Group. And here with me, Auto Group Director of Talent Development, Mike Van Ryan. Welcome, Mike. Hey, thanks, Sam. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast, like it if you do, and leave a comment. We have got an action-packed episode this week. We'll have time codes in the notes so you can skip around to whatever portion you're most interested in. So first up, we'll get an update on the Ziegler Kalamazoo Marathon, including information about Monday, August 1st's race registration which the podcast will live stream on the ziggler auto group youtube page subscribe to that page now for updates and reminders then we'll join a special drive for life charity gala feature highlighting the first day shoe fund learn more about that charity and how drive for life supports it and how they're changing the world through their vision finally we conclude this week's podcast with a much anticipated backstage interview with damon west you'll remember damon west in the ziggler locker room last week today he joins us for a special interview in which he shares never-before-heard experiences from his time in prison, his time two weeks ago in England, and what it was like being with Team Ziegler in the locker room. All right, everybody, welcome to the special edition of the Driving Vision Podcast. So with us today, special guest... Damon West. Damon, welcome. Sam, thanks a lot, man. Thanks a lot for having me, man. Thanks for spending your time with me. It is such an honor and such a privilege to have you here in the locker room, the Ziegler Auto Group locker room. Earlier today, you presented to our teams across the auto group. Right. Thank you for that.
0: Yeah, no, it was was great. I mean, look, thank you because I don't always get to see a culture like that when I go into a place. Um, your culture and how it's displayed on the walls outside where you've been, your history, that's important. It's important to know where you come from. And Mike was taking me around, showing me the place. And then we look up and the sign says the locker room. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> Man, I'm in the right spot. Yeah, and, the, and nothing else was a disappointment. I mean, it was solid. People were fired up, very enthusiastic. It was
1: a great crowd. Thank you. The first question that we ask every guest of the podcast is this. So the podcast is people change the world by implementing their vision in the world. And you have a very specific vision of the world and you're seeking to change it. What is that vision and how are you engaging the world to change it? Yeah, my vision is I
0: want to show people uh, how they can become the best version of themselves and show them that the power to change themselves and the world around them is inside them. It's not in the power, it's not outside forces around you. It's inside you. And it's it's the light from within, you know, that that stuff. But I wanna show people how to tap into that. And I use the allegory of the carrot, the egg, and the coffee bean in a pot of boiling water. Because in a pot of boiling water, the carrot will turn soft, an egg will turn hard, these are people that in life, uh, the carrots are sad people you meet that are beat down by life. Or the eggs are like the people that are very angry. They're, they're irritable all the time. Those are the eggs. But it's the third option that I want to challenge people to become is like the coffee bean because the coffee bean changes the pot of warm water to a pot of coffee. And so it's, I'm trying to find coffee beans out there to turn this big, great big world that we have into a pot of coffee. So this
1: truth that you're sharing, you haven't always known it. Back in the early days, you shared a story of yourself in Texas, which we won't review again because uh, people can go back and listen to it. But you had to go through a pot of boiling water to get to realize and understand this truth. How would you compare the world today to that pot of boiling water? Is the temperature going up, down, staying the same? Oh, the temperature's going
0: up. What happened in my life is, is a SWAT team in Dallas came and pulled me out of a situation I was in. But SWAT teams are coming to get us all the time, the SWAT teams of life, you know, and what's happening right now in the world, especially in, in business and, and finance, there's a big SWAT team coming for a lot of people and, and it's going to happen. And we're going to some of us are going to get scooped up by it. But we have to be able to bounce back from that because it's like my buddy Ed Milet says that life doesn't so much happen to you as it happens for you. Yeah. And so we're going to have to be able to find in this adversity that's coming our way what's that mean for us how is this happening for us because look the, the world is a pot of boiling water this country in particular is a pot of boiling water look at our map right now politically and everything that we've gone through yeah. in the last several years it's like this hate keeps brewing inside this country and my thing is i want to bring people together because we've got to get rid of the hate because hate corrodes the container it's contained in yeah. and right now through social media through television we see this coming at us from the left and the right. Yeah. And so, how do we get past all that? How do we get past, get
1: to the signal from the noise? So, you had some great advice for our team, which was turn some of that off. Absolutely. Refuse to engage, right? Absolutely. And find other productive ways to engage the world. So, you actually called that SWAT team your angels. Yeah. How long did it take you to see it for that? Because if you think about times of trouble, which may be ahead, there might be some of us. That the SWAT team comes for proverbially in the next year or two. How long did it take you to see them as angels, as change agents for you to see your better self on the other side? Yeah, I would say, I would
0: say it, it took at least a year because, it, you know, I got sentenced to life in prison about 10, 10 months after that, and I still wasn't seeing that as them being my angels, but it was yeah. whenever I got in to the the prison system. And I started becoming the best version of myself. And I started seeing the potential. And think about this, man, I get dropped off in a dungeon, a maximum security level five penitentiary, but I'm becoming the best version of me. And it's like, I grew more in that seven years and three months that I was in prison than I did anywhere else in my life. And so it was during that process that I gradually started seeing like, Hey man, those guys didn't just Arrest me that day. They rescued me that day. They yeah. rescued me. They pulled me out of a situation I couldn't get myself out of. But we don't see it all the time, yeah. right? When it happens. But I think that's the way it's supposed to be. Because if we saw it right away, we wouldn't have to dig deep and find the best version of us. We wouldn't have to
1: hit the bottom to bounce back up. Yeah. What advice would you give yourself in that moment when the SWAT team, when the trouble, when the economic woes are coming for you to give yourself hope and to give yourself a sense of, hey, there's better times ahead if you get through? The better version of yourself awaits. Yeah. One of the things I tell people, especially in difficult times, is
0: to control the controllables. And the we get so, not we, I'll use an I statement. I get to a point in life where I want to try to control things that aren't mine to control. And that's a waste of time. And time is the most precious resource you have. And especially when you're dealing with economic troubles and, and, and everything else that may be coming your way, you don't want to waste that thing called time. And so if you'll focus on the things you can control, things like what you think, what you say, what you feel, what you do, the stuff you consume, yeah. then that's the way that you're going to be able to get through this. And like we talked about just the social media aspect, turn some of that stuff off because selling gloom and doom is such a big thing in this country. Selling yeah. drama, selling the chaos, that's such a big thing. And, and as you see the economy, if it starts going further and further bad, you're going to see more gloom and doom yeah. crank up
1: and social media, and that's, it's so divisive. There are people who benefit from that fear, and it's not the individual. It contributes to that sense of fear in your head, and what you think about is reality, right? You Absolutely. taught us that today.
0: Absolutely, and, I mean, you, and your fears, I mean, like I say, fears aren't real, but danger's real. Fear's an emotion you feel, and when you get emotional about things that are going on, you, attach, you start attaching emotion to a situation, the situation gets exacerbated, it gets bigger and bigger, and look, yeah. you talk about fears, I mean, Fear sells. Yeah. You watch TV. I mean, if you, if you watch TV and you see commercials on TV, news isn't about news anymore. It, both sides, left and right, yeah. they're trying to sell commercials. How do they sell yeah. com- the most commercials? They've got to get the most viewers of that. And then when you're looking through social media and you look at social media and you don't see any commercials, guess what? You are the product. Yeah. They're selling you. You are the product. So, We've got to realize that and pull ourselves away from the stuff that that feeds negativity and chaos into our world. Be the coffee bean. Be the
1: coffee bean. world. That's it. One of the things you said, and I loved it today, because I want this mental image in my own head as I go through challenges, is you talked about how we all come to forks in the road and we're knocked down, right? Uh, We don't have to win every fight, but we got to fight every fight and we can be knocked down. And you said that fork in the road is that moment when you're knocked down And you stand back up, and the world looks different. Looks
0: different. Let's talk about a big fork in the road that everybody can relate to. March of two thousand twenty. Remember that? Yeah. You went to bed one night. (laughs) You woke up, and no one to work. (laughs) The world stood still. The whole world stood still. Yeah. But you still got to live. This is like life. You know, life still goes on, but it doesn't go on the way you remember it. It's a new way of living, or that term that I can't stand—the new normal. Yeah. Because I don't like. What does that mean? Yeah. What does the new normal (laughs) mean? Yeah. In my own life. When this happened and the pandemic happened, every email I was opening up in March of 2020 was a cancellation for a presentation I had in person because no more speaking in public. Yeah. No one wants to get around in big spaces. Yeah. In the course of the next month, I probably lost, you know, a quarter of a million dollars in speaking fees for the entire year. Yeah. My entire year was gone. Whatever yeah. I had made from January to mid-March was that over. Was it. Yeah. And and I'm not unique. Yeah. So many people went through even worse than what I went through, but people can relate to this. And I remember I was getting up this is right around March, April, 2020. And I was becoming the egg. I was mad. I was angry. I'm like, you know, and I started going to that little hole where you're, you're circling the drain going, why me? Why me? But it's, you have to remember, like I was telling you, like Ed says, you, life doesn't happen so much to you as happens for you. So I looked at the situation. I called a friend of mine. She's got this big Zoom platform with all these educators. I said, listen, no one has any money to pay for presentations. No one's going anywhere. But I've got a message that I think can help people out through the pandemic, this be a coffee bean message, right? Because yeah. the world just became this giant pot of boiling water. This fork in the road is a big one. Yeah. And I need to share this message. And, and nobody's going to be able to pay for it, but, but I have to go give it away. Yeah. And that's a message I was receiving, by the way. Yeah. I was receiving I call it downloads that I get from, from God. I'm getting this download. Hey, you need to go give this message away. Yeah. So I got with my friend. She has a big platform for the next three 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 and a half months. I probably do a hundred and 110, 120 free zoom calls. I mean, wow. just, yeah. but what happened yeah. along the way is I'm serving other people, which is what I tell people the secret to life is I'm serving other people. People are getting help because they get this message. That is the message that's got them through that. Um, Along the way, I'm helping myself because I'm helping other people. And along the way, I found purpose for my life. Every day I had something waiting for me to do because I've created this world where I'm going out and speaking in my living room now or my dining room. But I've got a purpose. I've got people that are waiting for me out there. Now I'm important. Now now I have an importance in life. I'm useful again. Everybody needs to be useful. But in the end of the pandemic, four months when it was over, I started getting these messages through Twitter. Hey, you spoke to my group, my team, my organization, and we'd like to, have to do an in-person deal, and we think this message is a perfect message. Yeah. Boom, boom, boom. 10 and extra business problems. And my, my career just took off. Yeah. And it was, I mean, everybody's career there in, in the public was down like this, but I got
1: back out there and served other people, launched it. Kit, can I just point out that you've given us the recipe, not in prison, but out in the real world, of becoming the Coffee Bean. I love that the very first thing you did in that moment where you got knocked down, the world looked totally different. You went to your source to understand, what do I do? And that first thing, the first action you took was service. It was selfless. It was doing something for someone else. And that that was my next question is, why is it service? Why is it service that pulls us out of that me mentality? And if I find myself in that knockdown moment, whether it's economy or marketplace or other things I can't control. What are things that I could do as a member of Team Ziggler to serve others? So why is it service? And Mike and I, we're talking about this. Service is,
0: is so important because that's we have to get get outside of ourselves to serve. Yeah. Because when I'm getting ready to make a decision in life, I have these four spiritual principles I ask myself all the time. Is this thing that I'm about to do, is it unselfish? Is it honest? Is it pure? Is it loving? And these four spiritual principles I got from the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah. 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 Unselfish, honest, pure, and loving. Now, on the other side of the spectrum, if it's not one of those four things, then it's selfish, self-seeking, self-want, self-desire, self-delusion. When we serve, we get outside of self. And when we're outside of self, then we can see the big picture again. You get trapped inside yourself the voice in your head starts telling you things that aren't even true. And you start believing things that aren't even real. It lies to you. It lies to you. You lie to yourself. It lies to you. And and so it's like someone told me one time in an AA meeting. He said, hey, Damon, if we could all go throw our problems onto a pile and then go up to that pile and we could pick out anybody's (laughs) problems we wanted, you know what we would most likely do? Take our Go grab our own problems, (laughs) throw them back over our shoulder. When you see what other people are dealing with, then you don't want to have their problems. Yeah because our problems are never really as bad as we think they are. And the other thing I would tell people at Team Ziggler, whenever you are looking for a way to to, to really put perspective on things, is, is the perspective part, that's a big thing. Yeah. We all know what a bad day looks like, all right? Bad days are days that it really hits the fan. Yeah. Like every morning, I, I think I got this unique perspective in my life, because I've been to prison, right? Yeah. So every morning that I wake up and my feet don't hit the cold concrete floor of the prison cell. Grateful. I'm having a great day. <laughs> I'm winning, man. And I've, I've learned that my worst day out here is better than my best day in there. Yeah. And we all have that perspective of what a bad day looks like. Everybody at Ziegler, you've had tough times. Someone's died. You know, you've got fired from a job. You know, you lost some money in an investment. Something goes wrong you know what a bad day looks like
1: usually the stuff we're worried about isn't one of those days so damon that's true but something i saw in you today and it was something that really hit me powerfully once someone begins to have success we so easily forget the bad day we so easily forget where we came from that history what brought us there how do you avoid forgetting how do you always remember that because you're as humble uh, this morning in the in the locker room as you were probably the day you got out of prison. A- and you were hustling, too. You're a guy on the verge of making a Hollywood movie, which, by the way, you should have Morgan Freeman narrate. We talked about Shawshank. Yeah, so, yeah, you would be great. You've got a national selling book. You've been on podcasts near and far. You are a, a household name in so many ways. The story has become an epic tale. How do you not become a different person as a result of that?
0: I keep my feet really grounded in reality and life. My passion, and this doesn't pay me any money financially, but it pays me spiritually. And there's a lot more ways to be paid in life than yeah. than financially. And I would, I would challenge everybody at Team Ziegler, find out how you're gonna get paid spiritually in life and seek that out. My passion is going into prisons. Because every prison that I go into, presentations like Ziegler today, Digger was great, yeah, and the, the people in this room they are locked in, you know yeah. no one 's got their phones out they 're locked yeah. the culture's great here, yeah. but man, when I go into a prison Sam, when I go into a prison, man, every man and woman in that room, one hundred percent of them are locked in, zoomed in because they want what i 've got, yeah and and I can show I can bring them hope i 'm a smuggler of hope when I go into a prison, but you know again i 'm serving them by going into a prison, no one 's paying me to go in there no there 's nothing financially to gain from that. But when I go into a prison, I get to dip my toe in that toxic water of that prison, that place that I fought so hard to get out of and never want to go back to. Yeah. For two hours, I get to dip my toe in that water, that reminds and I, I get to go in. Now, now my 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 sights are full of prison. The hearing is full of prison. All my senses are being dragged into prison. Yeah. And and finally, you know, the touch, the taste, the smell. I'll sit down in the chow hall sometime when I go into a prison to eat a meal there to make sure all five of my senses are <laughs> soaked up.
1: Yeah. And I'll walk back out the front gate. So you have a process to take you back, and that is tied to service. It's interesting. You were in one of the toughest prisons in the nation in Texas, and you were the coffee bean in that prison. You created coffee in that boiling water. Yeah do you feel an obligation to continue changing that culture and have you been able to a couple of people at team Ziggler asked about people you knew in there, Carlos being one, like what's their experience? Having seen you leave, have the success you've had, is it tough for them to see or do they embrace it and cheer you on? Do they have hope? Man, they embrace hope. That's the key word hope because it's, it's one of
0: the most hopeless places there is. You and I yeah. were talking about the prison ministry stuff you yes. did and the chance yep. you got to go in there and see that that even in a place that's lacking all hope when they find something that has hope that's a that's a big deal and yes those they they love it i mean these men and women that, that see me coming to prison it's like this newscaster from dallas did a story the other day about it because i've got a prison curriculum that i give to the prison system they don't have to pay for it i give it to i've built it for them i've give it to them and we had this graduation ceremony 30 guys were graduating. We got caps and gowns on them because some of these guys have never had a cap that's and gown. Awesome. Yeah. We had the next 30 guys are going to take the class sitting right next to them because I want them to see what success looks like. I want these guys to feel success in the cap and gown. I want yeah. these guys to see it. And I had their family members, everybody that's graduated got to bring one family member because I want their family member to see the success in those men, right? Yeah. Because I remember being in prison. I remember being the guy that made his family proud again. And I want everybody to feel that because man, we all at the core of being human, we all just want to belong and be loved. Yeah, That's at the core of being all human beings. We lose this sometimes along the way, Yeah, but that's what we all want to do. We all want to belong and be loved. And when they see a guy like me come in, that's been where they've been, it gives them tremendous hope. And the, the guy from the news story said, you know, that Damon West is like a conquering hero. And that's really that's a awesome. great way
1: he put it. What great imagery.
0: Yes. Because yeah. it's like, that is a great way to put it because yeah. six and a half years ago, I was right where they were, yeah. but they see that, man, this guy did it. Yeah. I can do it too. I There's nothing. Too. If I can dream it, I can do it. And our past doesn't define us.
1: So before Mike asks a few questions regarding our lightning round and a little bit before that, let's talk about your mom. What a character in the story. Yeah. yeah. What an incredible personality. And, and you shared her narrative throughout the advice she gave you, the motivation she gave you. What does your mom say? to What did she say the day you got out of prison? And what did she say the day you made it? If if you consider actually, what, what does she say on the day you made it? So I re- it was May 1st of 2015
0: and it was on a Friday and I call home to my parents every Friday because I'm going to see if they're going to come visit me. My, I, I was in prison a few miles away from where I grew up, four or five miles away. Beaumont and Port Arthur right next to each other. So I called my mom and my dad to see if they're going to come visit me because they visited me over 150 times when I was in prison. Wow. 150 wow. times. Never left you. Never left me. Yeah. I never feel like felt like I had both feet in prison. So with this big story you, you hear about Damon West, Damon West had a lot of help. And that's the, yeah. the truth about everybody in life. No one gets where we are it takes on our a village. own. Yeah. yeah, we're not yeah. that good. Yeah. I had a lot of help and a lot of support from my family. So I called my mom that Friday. And she said, "Baby, we need to talk." She said the parole board made a decision. And right away, I think, "Oh man!" I'm like, "Mom, I'm sorry," because I think they've shot well, me down. She delivered the news. She delivered the news,
1: oh, and I, I think
0: know. they've shot me down because I'm not going I'm not expecting to make my first parole. I did not ever think it was possible. And I was like, "Mom, I'm sorry. Next year, you know, I'll do better. We'll try more. Whatever." She said, "Baby, they voted. Voted you out. You're coming home. The nightmare is over. Oh. You're coming home." <laughs> And, man, in that moment, I've got this phone in my hand. I'm in this day room. There's 125 guys in this day room. And I break down and I start crying. And I realize I've made a mistake because you can't cry in this place, right? Yeah. This is like showing weakness. So I try to straighten up my like, mom. Hey, look, I got to call you back. I hang the phone up. I'd run to the chapel because that's where I work. I'm working in the chapel at the time. Yeah. And I sit the chapel down with a couple of guys I can trust in the chapel that I work with. I'm like, you all never going to believe this, but I made parole. I'm going home. And, I mean, everybody's crying, you know? But we've got to come up with a story because why was Damon <laughs> crying in the day room? Because I had to protect myself. Well, wait, you're gone though. Does it matter? I've got two weeks. I know that okay. I'm gonna have two weeks before the prison bus comes to pick me up. And here's what happens when you make parole: anybody that wants to take one last parting shot at you has a free shot at you because you can It's can't, that intense. You can never give up. It's you that intense. Never, it's like come crabs. On. It's like crabs in a bucket. Wow. You know, if you start getting out of that bucket, and so they're like. That's the the danger I'm in. I'm in mortal danger now because I've let people know something's wrong and I don't want them to figure it out. So we came up with this, this story that, all right, we're going to say your grandmother died because both my, both my grandmothers passed away at this point. And I'm sure either one of those beautiful women would love me for to yeah. use her for the yeah. excuse. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going back to the pod. I get back in the pod and I go up to my bunk. I'm going to grab my stuff to take a shower because I'm on a mode now where I'm only going to leave my bunk to shower and I'm gonna go to work every the day. Boiling water is turning. Boiling out. water is, they just crank the heat up. But on the other side of this, two weeks, I'm gonna have to get to walk out of prison. So I'm getting my shower stuff together, and here comes like four or five of these white guys, a couple of Aaron Brotherhood guys. And I'm like, oh man, this is not gonna be good. And they're coming up, they're smiling. I'm like, hey, what's up, guys? they are like, hey man, congratulations on making parole. I'm like, what are you talking about, man? Well, we saw you crying in the day room. Oh man, my grandmother died. Yeah, it was, it was terrible. Dude drop it west we know that you made parole because so and so saw you in crying and he called his mom on the in the free world and had looked you up on the internet and found out you made parole these guys are very slick they watch everything they see everything in prison i'm like oh, they can see it. they're like dude relax we're here to help here's the deal don't go anywhere don't do anything don't go to the chow hall again. Don't go to the rec yard again. You can't go, you can go to your work and come back to the punk. If you run out of food in your lot, cause I have food from commissary. that yeah. little store. Yeah. If you run out of food, let us know. We got you. We'll bring you more food. Do not wow. go back to the chow hall. Why did wow. they help?
1: Because you created a coffee in
0: prison. Yeah. And it, you changed the culture. Changed the culture. Is that and, why? Yeah. And also because they see the potential for someone to get out and do something. You yeah, know, right. whether it was black guys or white guys or Hispanic guys, they saw a guy that had a chance to do something maybe none of them have ever seen before because of the way that I walked by walking there. Yeah. You know, I wasn't just talking stuff. I lived it in there. The person you see, and it's what I tell people in prison, the man or woman you want to be when you get out one day has to begin while you're in there. Oh, I love Inside that. Inside this pot uh, of boiling water. At the beginning
1: of your adversity, you've got to be that person that you want to invest. got to be the same again, person.
0: right? The same prayer that I pray every day is the prayer that I learned when I was in prison. My circumstances have changed drastically in life, yeah. but my intentions are all still the same. Yeah, And that's the way you have to be in life. When you're in that adversity, you can't change and become a different person. you got to be the same person, and that's what's going to get you through. That's what I was talking about today when I was talking to Ziegler about culture. Your culture is your backbone, and, and if you have a solid culture, yeah. you can weather any storm. I use my buddy Dabla Winnie's football team at Clemson all the time for this example. Clemson had a difficult year this past year they lost games they haven't lost games like this in a long time other other teams that do this they have this this chaos that happens within their team they lose games a lot of them fall apart the head coaches end up getting fired by the end of the year yeah. not at clemson yeah they yeah. have culture to fall back on and yeah. when the times got tough they circled the wagons they all got together in their locker room yeah and they won 10 games. They ended up winning out and having... I mean, they still won 10 games. Think about being on a team that your, your bad season is a 10-win 10 10 win season. But they righted the ship and they got it back on
1: course because they fell back on their culture. Adversity with strong culture creates strong people. Absolutely. Good times create weakness. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Which creates bad soft. times. Right? Then that creates tough people. Bad times create tough people. But you've given us a formula... And a story to think about where you can avoid going back. You can always move forward if we apply the principle of the coffee bean.
2: I, I love it, Mike. Absolutely. Well said. And Damon, you, I want to congratulate you because you have a heart for people. And we could feel it and sense it throughout yes. the day at Team Ziegler. And encourage our listeners to check out Damon and his books, his story. It's an unbelievable, incredible story. So congratulations. I got to ask you out there to tie in with your heart for people. If you got a listener, maybe that's listening to us right now and they're going through a struggle, what advice, what message do you have for them?
0: So I'm going to look at the camera and say this. So this is the deal. There's so many different ways to be locked up. Being in a physical prison, that's just one way of being in prison. I meet more people out here in the free world that are locked up by their thoughts and by their things than by steel bars and, and barbed wire and concrete. And so my advice is to let go of the things that are imprisoning you. Try to free yourself from those prisons, emotional, spiritual, financial prisons. Think about all the obligations that we put ourselves to, that we become a slave to. For me, one of the biggest things in my life is this phone. Yeah, me too. I've become a slave to my phone. And and it's just have. Good story for you. You Is it time for another story? Yeah. Got out of prison uh, November 16, 2015. That's right before Thanksgiving. Well, I haven't seen most of my family. I haven't seen a lot of my family in in a decade. I got out of prison in seven years and three months. But remember, I was out on drugs, lived on the streets for four or five years. So some of my family I haven't seen in this entire century. So they're all going to come in in 2015 and see Damon, Damon's home, the prodigal son right has returned. So I get to to spend Thanksgiving with all these people that come into my parents' home and there's dozens and dozens of people there. And I remember I was sitting there eating and it was loud and it got quiet. And I'm like, what's going on? And I look down and everybody's got their phones out doing this. Now I'm 10 days out of prison. I see this kind of behavior. I'm like, Man, what's wrong with these people, wow. man? I'll never be one of those people. Everybody wanted to text. Yeah, man. I'll never be like that. Yeah. Man, I went to man plans and God <laughs>, laughs. Brother, I went to a... My mom signed me up for a church retreat because these guys that used to bring this retreat into the prison, These they call called ACTS, Adoration, Community,
1: Theology, and yeah. Services. Christian men would come it's in. It's actually a physical place where you can go in Iowa, I think it is. Or, or, they have them yeah. in Texas, if it's yeah. phys- yeah. a physical It's
0: yeah. tr- so... My mom signed me up for a retreat and she said, you know, you're going to a retreat in January. You said when you get out of prison, you want to find these men. These would be your friends and this is where you're going to find your your home. Yeah. And so I was excited about the retreat. Well, she told me that in November when I got out of prison, November 16th, she told me the day I got out of prison, you're going to this retreat. I thought, this is great. And I see all these people at Thanksgiving. Ten days later, they're texting. I'm like, I'll never be one of those people. Yeah. When January of 2016, two months rolled around, and I've got to turn my phone in yeah. when I go into this retreat center for four days, Yeah, I've got to give this new phone up. Man, I was so hooked to this phone. It's as powerful as any yeah. And I remember thinking, oh my God, what is happening? But I haven't stopped. I have, you. Yeah. More and more of our lives become centered in on these phones. When I was eating yeah. breakfast, Mike and I were eating, we were eating breakfast this morning. Yeah. I had to... Turn my phone over yeah. so the messages that were coming through wouldn't distract me from having a conversation with this yeah. man right here that yeah. worked so hard to bring me here. I'm like, dude, yeah. Damon, focus on him. In the car a while ago. Yeah. You know, I've been talking. I haven't had time to look at my phone. I pull up my phone and Mike's talking. I was like, man, I had to put my phone up and remember I'm in the car with somebody. We've got to unplug. Yeah,
2: well Human nature is, too, we forget. Yeah. We so easily yeah. forget. Absolutely. So well said. Well, to tie in with your heart for people, you love giving back. And we know you've been giving back religiously to your brothers and sisters that are in prison. And we congratulate you for that. Talk to us about maybe another um, area that you love to give back to. I know you got a lot of special projects out there you're passionate about.
0: Man, so I have a, a foundation, the Be A Coffee Bean Foundation. The Be A Coffee Bean Foundation dot is where you find it. We have a program. One of the toughest things to see, Mike, when I was in prison was these guys that are locked up with me. They've got family on the outside. They'll get they'll take they'll do a phone call or they'll get a letter. And they're just a heap of tears when they get off these calls or they get a letter in the mail. And I'm like, man, what's wrong? Are you okay? And it's always the same story, man. My my son or my daughter wants to do this on the outside or that. And we don't have any money. I'm in here. It's my you know the the mother, my baby mom, or whoever's taking care of my mom's taking care of my kids now. Whoever's taking care of the kids is a single income family now. And we don't have the money for that. And then the relationship, you watch the relationship of the parent and the child, the parent you're locked up with, and that child on the outside keep deteriorating. Now they're telling you stories about problems they're having, you know, with behavior and stuff like that. You know, I'm locked up. They're out there. What am I supposed to do? So my foundation finds children that have an incarcerated parent. Anywhere in America, any race, whatever, if you're a child with an incarcerated parent, you're eligible for a scholarship from the Be a Coffee Bean Foundation. We've raised a lot of money for this stuff, and I need kids to give this to. What I'm looking for is children that have an incarcerated parent, a little boy or a girl. Say the little girl wants to take dance or the little boy wants to take karate or, or select baseball or football. We'll pay for all that's up to twenty five hundred dollars. We'll pay for everything: equipment, travel fees. I've got a little stepdaughter that's ten that takes dance. Dance is expensive, man. I'm telling you, (laughs) I've been shocked to see the bills coming in from dance. She does competition dance. Yeah. But you know what? I think every little girl that wants to or a little boy that wants to take dance should be able to take dance. You know, regardless if your parents locked up. Yeah. But generational incarceration is a real thing. So it, it, that's what happens. You know, you have one generation become incarcerated. Now, if you're a son or daughter of that person incarcerated, you're 50 times, 50% more likely to become incarcerated wow. because your parent is incarcerated. Wow. It becomes the norm, right? So we want to get these kids involved. I would love to find kids that are eight or nine years old, find something they like and just sponsor them the rest of the time all the way through high school. Yeah. That would be a dream come true for me. That's a way I can get out and serve other people because these kids kids don't they don't get to pick their parents, you yeah. know,
1: and their yeah. parents committed crimes and made a mistake. How can we help support this charity? Those listening to the Driving Vision podcast, Team Ziggler, you know, th- this is an incredible cause. How yeah. If you,
0: if you want to go the foundation website, if you want to go to the foundation website and make a contribution, uh, look, I mean, we sponsor a kid. We'll, we'll tell a kid, we've got some kids that we're doing this with. We'll go up to 2,500 and, and We've had kids hit hit that twenty five hundred mark fast. A little girl taking dance, or a little boy playing select baseball.
2: Yeah, Um, coffee bean cares. uh,
0: Yeah, coffee Coffee bean Bean cares. Cares, The coffee bean cares initiative, and that's that's what we do with that. I mean, and you can actually flag your contribution for that that uh, particular uh, foundation initiative. That's awesome. Yeah, in that cycle. In that cycle, and what the other thing we try to do with that is try to connect the parent that's incarcerated. With us, the foundation, me, actually, because I'm this conquering hero to the incarcerated people in America, I'll contact the parents of the incarcerated and say, hey, listen, we're going to give your kid a scholarship for this activity of their choice. Somebody's alerted us to it, the family, whatever, but we're going to tell them it came from you. Oh, you cool. found this yeah. and you got this yeah. for them. and if you will sit there and take this opportunity wow. to bond with your child yeah. we're giving you this gift the that way, cracks
1: the coffee bean begins. That way
0: yes when the letters come in now there's letters going back hey tell me how dance is going that, yeah. that scholarship I got you tell me all about dance or when they see him at visitation tell me about baseball you know now we're talking about stuff that kids need to be talking about Yeah
1: Absolutely. that's beautiful
2: so, Damon, we're going to close out today by going to the lightning round. Okay. I've got some quick questions. For this has been great, by the way, guys. Thank, Thank you so, you. so Thank much you for being that generous that. Awesome. with your time. It's so fun. It's a great conversation. So, what's the most influential book you read in prison? I read some really good
0: books in prison. The most influential book I read in prison. This may sound crazy, and I got to explain it why. The Count of Monte Cristo. Really? The Count of Monte Interesting. Cristo. I've read, I read that in English as a Man, kid. Man, I'm going to tell you Man. why. Because this guy in this book, he goes to prison. Now he's innocent, but he's, he's set up and he's sent to prison yep. to a dungeon. And in this dungeon, he's going to grow. He has his priest that's in there with him, he's going to grow, right? And you, you don't know how long he's in there for, but when he finally escapes 18 years later, the one thing on his mind is revenge. Yeah. But this priest has told him about this fortune. So he goes and finds his fortune first. And he, Once he finds his fortune... And becomes the count of Monte He creates the Count of Monte Cristo. He spends the next 10 years plotting his revenge for the people that sent him there. So it's the ultimate book about revenge and, and how hate can drive a person to do the most maddening things. He just spent 18 years locked up. He's free, but he's locked up again because he wants his revenge. He spends the next 12 years, another decade and two years, finding ways to go out and get the and then he starts getting them. Then he starts killing them. He starts killing all their families. Yeah. And he comes to the realization that he has to let it go he cannot live like this because it's then it becomes the ultimate book on forgiveness and acceptance and and how to live your life being a better person because he realized that even all the
1: revenge that he was getting, it didn't make him happy. And, and in his revenge, he loses everything, doesn't he? I think he, It doesn't his wife leave him or the or girlfriend? or well, I mean, his, his wife, his wife was
0: taken from him by the guy that That's set him up, yeah, yeah. you know, so yeah. he
1: never had. But what he had was taken away once he sought revenge. Yeah, you know, right? like,
0: he, but the thing about it is, is that when he got his freedom from prison, when he escaped from prison, that was his chance to start a new life. Yes. And he got a fortune.
1: Yeah.
0: Man, this and that's what it hit me. You know, like, man, this guy got out and he became wealthy. Yeah. He had whatever well, we think in life. A lot of people think, man, wealth is freedom. And no, yeah. he wasn't free. He had to get revenge first. Yeah. I could relate to that, man. I I'm sitting there in a prison reading this book and I'm thinking to myself, wow, you know, once I walk out of this place one day. It doesn't matter how good things get, I cannot become a prisoner to the things that become really good on the outside. So and much it, of our world is here. It's all it's up here, here. man. It's, <laughs> and it, but he had to finally let it go because yeah. it was consuming him and he realized he was still a prisoner after 30 years. So one of the best book I ever read. I mean, it's great. Don't watch the movie, read the book, read the bridge version because the underbridge is like, That's it's huge. Bigger awesome. than Yeah.
2: <laughs> What's one myth you had about prison before you did your time?
0: One myth I had about prison before I did my time, uh, that they had free weights in prison. I thought they were going to have like <laughs> yes, this huge okay. wreck yard with all these weights sitting around, but they don't have free weights anymore in prison. They took them out in about the year 2000 in Texas prison because inmates were getting way too big. They were yeah. getting massive. Really? Um, another misconception I have, you know, you know, I, I thought that the showers were going to be this big like car wash looking thing, which you see in the movies all the time. Yep. yep. That's how some older prisons are, but the the newer prisons were, yeah, there there were single person showers, but that was where you fought and did stuff like that. Still no
1: privacy, though. Still no privacy. They
0: say prison, and somebody told me this when I got in, prison is the only place where you're never alone, but you're always lonely. Yeah, You're never alone,
1: but you're you're always surrounded by the wrong people, and you're surrounded by a lot of people. Part of your time, can I just ask this one question, because it's killing me before you do this. You teach prisons at a university. Yeah. What's there to teach about prison at a university to a bunch of college
0: students? Man, so it's, it's great. So we have a textbook and it, it, prisons in America is a, is a typical class you take to get a criminal justice degree yeah. in any university, really. You're going to take a class on corrections. Okay. There's no other prison professor in America that that that, that teaches a class about prisons that lives in a prison, but me, I'm yeah. the only guy, I'm the, yeah. but what's to teach? Well, we get to the, let's say we get to the chapter about gangs. Yeah. Right? We, you know, we open the book up, we, we're talking about gangs. Y'all want to talk about prison gangs? Close your book. Let's have some yeah. conversations about prison Sociology,
1: gangs. Sociology, psychology. Let
0: me take you down the road. Let me tell you what happened this one time when this guy that was an Aryan Brotherhood guy stole a radio from one of the Crips. It would be a fun teacher, wouldn't it? Yeah. Oh, you? man. <laughs> to have <laughs> it. story. And I'm telling him this story about what happened because in this story... Because, so they have gangs that are set up. The hierarchy of the gang is set up. Yeah. One guy from a gang can't just go hit another guy from a gang. They have these guys that are called speakers. And the speaker is like an ambassador. Yeah. He can move from one gang to the other and talk. He's your speaker. So he goes, the speaker from the Aryan Brotherhood goes to the speaker from the Crips. And they say, we got a problem over here. And they actually have like a little trial on the rec yard where they take this guy that's been accused of theft and they run a trial on him. And when they found that he was guilty, they take him out and they beat him on the rec yard almost to death. Because they have to handle the justice in their own way to keep from a racial war starting between the gangs. Wow. This all, it's a little society in there. So I get to tell yeah. these criminal justice practitioners, let me talk about the society in there. Because we don't go home. We yeah. stay there. Yeah. That's, our, that's our host. And that's you our have home. an opinion yeah, probably about how to
1: fix the penal system in, in today's America. And that's probably part of the class. Itself. I do. And that's but a, a long conversation. What's <laughs> yep. right, right, your next question. next
2: question, Mike? <laughs> Last question here in closing. What's something, Damon, that you did recently that you never thought you'd be able to do? Oh my God,
0: man! I got to go to the United Kingdom. I got wow.
2: AIG. The, 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 my partners
0: in the, in the in the foundation, AIG sponsors all the initiatives I do, and and I do a lot of speaking with AIG. They bring me in to speak to their corporate offices in New York, Houston, stuff like that. But AIG is like, hey, we want you to go to London and speak to our London office. We're going to bring all the agents in from Europe, Germany, all these other countries are going to come in and say, here, you hear your presentation about the coffee bean. But the House of Lords would like to have you come talk to them, too. They, they've heard the story of the coffee bean. They want you to come wow. into Parliament and speak to Parliament. I was like, hey, you know what? The name's. Ligs and all. <laughs> yeah, the lady's name is Lucy Fato. Yeah. And she's the vice president of AIG, general counsel. Yeah. She says, I, and I told Lucy, I said, Lucy, that's great, but felons are not allowed in the United Kingdom. There's countries okay. I can't go to because I committed a felony. Really? Canada Australia New Zealand the UK there's four countries in the UK right so I can't go to those countries I and I told her I said I can't do it and she said Damon listen I don't believe that that this is gonna stop us I think we're on a mission here because we need to share with the world what we're doing with criminal justice reform through the foundation so you go apply for the visa and let us take it from there all right so I apply for the visa in May they shoot it down within one hour. The United Kingdom gets back to me and says, no, never. You'll never come to this country. We don't allow someone with more than one year of a felony conviction to come into our borders. You've got 65 years. Wow. Yeah, you're not coming. Wow. So I handed it to Lucy. All right, Lucy, you said you're going to take it. Here you go. I don't think we're going to make it work. She said, I got this. AIG sponsors a tournament in, in the UK called the, the AIG Women's British Open. They, they insure a lot of the buildings in the United Kingdom. About a month before the trip in July, I had an email from the U.K. Home Office, which is like the home, Homeland Security of America. That's the, the same agency. And this email was from a higher up and said, hey, Mr. West, we're going to reverse our original decision and we want to welcome you to the United Kingdom. Wow. I don't know what was said in this conversation, but we need you to send us your passport immediately to our New York consulate's office so we can give this a special stamp so we can get you through Heathrow Airport with no problems. So I go, Mike. What does the
1: special stamp look like?
0: <laughs> see, I'll show it to you yep. yeah, okay. offline. Yeah. So Mike, I go, and I've got to send my passport in the mail, man, or UPS. So I'm so dropping my passport off. I'm like, oh, but I'm just, just trusting the process. I'm getting a download telling me trust the process, you know? Yeah. So I put it in there a couple of weeks. It comes back. This courier comes to the door like you see in the movies. A guy comes and drops off this envelope. My passport's in there. special stamp. It says leave to enter outside the rules. It's a gold stamp. It's got my picture on it and it takes up a whole page of my passport. So my wife, my stepdaughter and I get to go on this amazing vacation, something I'd never thought here. And here's the existential part of this. If they tell me, no, if AIG can't pull this off and they tell me, no, it's no forever. Know forever that I'll never take my my wife and my beautiful little stepdaughter to the United Kingdom. We'll never see London. We'll never see Shakespeare's Globe Theater. Wow. We'll never see Windsor Castle. We'll never see Stonehenge. None of that stuff we got to do. Never going to happen. But if they say Crazy. yes, if they say yes, it's my one shot, right? Wow. Yeah, so, absolutely. So that, so we Kendall and I, my Kendall's my wife, and Claire's my stepdaughter. We were on the plane and when Claire goes to sleep, Kendall's like, You think this is really gonna work? I'm like, man, I don't know. We're gonna, <laughs> we're, gonna, we're, gonna we're gonna about to find out. Nine hours later, we land in London. We're going through customs, and the lady from the UK looks at my, my wife's passport, looks at my stepdaughter, stamps it, sends them on, she looks at my passport and she stops. I'm like, oh. She said, What are you doing in the UK? And I said, well, I'm here to speak to Parliament. And I'm just trying to put on my coffee bean smile. I'm, yeah. here, I'm here to speak to Parliament. You yeah. know? I'm here to speak to the house of Lords." She said, is somebody in trouble? And I'm like, no ma'am. But it turns out Boris Johnson was in trouble because yeah. he, he actually resigned. Re- <laughs> he resigned the week yeah. I was there. Yeah. No, oh, did he? Okay. Yeah, yeah. the oh, week I was course. there. Yeah, it was right. all yeah. anybody could talk about. Yeah. So, but I'm like, no ma'am, no one's in trouble. I'm just here to speak to Parliament. She said, how did you get this stamp? And I'm like, I really can't go into that. Oh, and I want to see. She said, that. the reason why I'm asking, I've been doing this for 20 years. I've never seen an American with that stamp. That never seen an American that has that stamp. So, adding incredible to your credentials, on yeah. the
1: fact that you may be the sole uh, ex con.
0: Yeah, the only. Well, I mean, the House of Lords. To? The House of Lords said, you know, you're you're probably the only person that's ever legally legally yeah. entered the UK with a life sentence, and and you're definitely the only person with a life sentence to ever speak to our chamber. Power uh, the coffee bean. Power the coffee bean, man. They love the coffee bean message. Internationally, they, they want to do prison reform stuff that we're doing with the foundation. They want to be involved. Uh, but I got to see so much stuff that i read about when i was in prison the history that i used to read about that i thought i'll never get I laid in, i laid in my bunk in prison y'all and thought well this is great i'm gonna read all i can about it because i'll never go sure i'll too. never see the tower of london i'll yeah. never see shakespeare's theater yeah but i got to do it we got to go to wimbledon got oh. to go to stonehenge oh. i would get up in the mornings <laughs> this is this is reality of my life because i don't think i can ever go back no i would get up in the mornings at five o'clock C- kendall and claire are sleeping And I'd get up and I'd go and I'd get on the tube, the London Underground, uh, the the subway, and I'd go see the different things in London that I really wanted to go see that weren't going to make it on the trip with my stepdaughter and my wife. I had to do two vacations in one because I can't go back. I don't think I can go back. Maybe I can, maybe I can't, but I'm looking at this like this is my one shot. So I literally was up twenty hours a day, pretty much seeing everything I could in London before my family got up. I was gone visiting places in London. So
2: cool! Yeah, and I
0: got it all. I just soaked it all in. But that's something I never thought I'd get to. It's what I tell people all the time: man plans and God laughs. Yes. These plans that you think
1: that you these limitations you put on yourself, you're doing that. But we actually have to have enough belief to say, you know what? I've heard the no, and I appreciate the no. But I'm going to be tenacious enough through that that I'm going to realize I can change the world. And, Mike, isn't that our entire podcast? Driving vision, having a big vision that changes the world. I wish we could rename it The Coffee Bean, but it's patent pending and you've got a movie coming out so we can't steal it. But we are so grateful for the time you've spent with us today in sharing this incredible message. I appreciate that. I mean, mean, honestly, this this time
0: has just flown by. But guys, listen, man, thanks a lot. Growth follows belief, man. If you believe it, it'll grow. Yeah, so absolutely. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Mike. Hey,
1: everybody, welcome to this special segment of the Ziegler Kalamazoo Marathon. We're back talking with... Race director Carrie, Carrie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mike. Of course, you're back. Welcome, glad to have you. Thanks, Sam. And Carrie, you've brought a special guest with you today. Carrie, introduce your guest, if you would.
3: Yes, we're welcoming Jeff Peterson of Classic Race Management, and they have been the timing company for the Borges Run for the health of it, now the Ziegler Kalamazoo Marathon for decades it seems. And not only do they provide timing services, but they also provide event consultation and and really have been the event experts that I've leaned on as we continue on with the iteration of the Borges Run and the ziegler Calmsy Marathon. So welcome, Jeff.
1: Thanks for having me. Jeff, we're excited to have you on the podcast today. And we love to understand what the behind the scenes workings are. One question that Mike and I routinely ask each other is, Okay, we're going to go out and run a mile or a 5K or a marathon or a half marathon. How the heck does it take a full year to prepare for that, right? (laughs) And uh, the benefit of us having this segment over the podcast is we're going to be able to see a little bit, Carrie, behind the scenes. How does a marathon come to be and carry you've taught us. It's not just getting everybody together and saying, let's go have a run. There's a lot of organization behind this. So uh, Jeff, we're excited to hear more about that. So Carrie, let's talk about what's going to happen tonight, August 1st in kicking off the registration. Tell us what will happen and where it will happen and what we can expect.
3: Yeah. So we're So excited that registration is opening tonight at uh, 6 p.m. So we're hosting a community run out of Gazelle Sports, downtown Kalamazoo. That's 214 South Kalamazoo Mall avenue uh join us there at 5 30 we're kind of kind of get things started the driving vision podcast crew will be there talking yes. to people and then we'll provide some instructions and more information about the ziggler kalamazoo marathon and then registration officially opens at 6 p.m we'll have a a little ceremony and that's when we'll also kick off the run we'll be heading down south burdick street so we'll head down south on burdick which is also kalamazoo mm-hmm. mall for about a half a mile and a half and come on back. So that's about three miles total for a community run. And then after that, we'll head over to Old Burdick's Bar and Grill and just enjoy some discounts on food and some specials there and just enjoy each other's company.
1: What a great way to celebrate kicking off this event. Isn't it, Mike, to be able to get together with everyone and to press a button where we'll start the beginning of the registration and then do a run. Mike, uh, how are you feeling with your 5K legs, three miles? legs
2: they feeling pretty good getting warmed up and stretched out so question I have, is there, is there like a buzzer? Is there some kind of sound that goes off when we launch?
3: Yeah, it's going to be the hype button. <laughs> it's um, I don't know if you've heard the hype button, but it's the air horn, sort of a pew, pew, pew. You hear it on the radio. You hear it uh, in clubs. So we're going to have that kind of energy there to kick things off.
1: That will be exciting. And the owner of Gazelle Sports will be there. We'll have quite a few different public personalities and people from the local area. I believe we may even have some representation from Southwest Michigan first. So we're uh, truly excited to uh, be together for that moment. So Carrie, it's crazy. The marathon isn't for another year. What are you doing behind the scenes to get Kalamazoo, the Ziegler Kalamazoo marathon ready for us to run? And I think it has to do with Jeff here. What are some recent steps you've taken?
3: Yeah, Jeff uh, has really led me and guided me in the registration process and, and guided our team in that process. And one conversation we've had is about starting times of the races, and there's a lot to consider there, and I'll pass it off to Jeff. Jeff, what are the considerations for how we kick races off?
4: First of all, Carrie's doing all the work. I, <laughs> I just I just come in to help her out with phone calls and text messages and emails and all the above. We help her with registration through a company called Run Sign Up. They do the majority of running events in uh, North America. Oh, wow. They handle all the data, processing of credit cards, all that sort of stuff. That's where we process results after the fact. Carrie and I are helping the Marathon build just the specific questions and needs and the data that the event needs to be a successful event.
1: I can imagine there can be some stress, Jeff, behind doing what you do. So I, I've seen a meme on the internet where a passed out runner is sitting there and somebody's going to render aid, and he says, hey, before you help me, will you hit stop on my Strava, right? Like, in the running community, getting your data right is important, isn't it, Jeff?
4: Uh, Yeah, because, if you get it wrong, the runners will let you know.
1: Well, not only will they let you know, but it, it impacts their entire world, right? Have you ever had, and not as a reflection on you or the company, but what's your worst horror story as it relates to data not being accurately collected? Have you ever had a nightmare happen?
4: The data's there, but losing the internet connection is the problem. Yeah, Trying to download data from a server and your cell coverage is not great. that it- it becomes an issue.
1: How do you verify that that will go according to plan at the Ziegler Kalamazoo Marathon 2023?
4: The nice thing is about downtown Kalamazoo is the internet connection is very good.
1: We are a very tech-focused community, aren't we? Exactly. And so our internet is solid. Right. So I understand from Carrie and Mike that you do about 80 races a year. How does the Ziegler Kalamazoo Marathon compare to the other races you're involved with, Jeff?
4: Well, it's been going on for a long time, so it's very established. It took a break for a year, but Now that it's back, last year with the initial year was a great success. And the nice thing about this year is adding the marathon back in. So the community will really jump in and uh, set up aid stations, be along the course, cheer on runners and become greatly involved.
1: So it's interesting. There's a bunch of different races, as you mentioned, that go on at the same time. So you have the marathon, you have the half marathon, you have the 5K. And for me, you have a a special three-quarter mile marathon, right, uh, Mike? It's a 3 quarter mile race that they allow me to run by special exception. So maybe
2: we'll do that one together, Sam.
1: That's right. Mike and I are (laughs) going to run that together and then we'll let everybody else do their thing. How the heck do you do that, Jeff? Like you have people that are starting and stopping at different times. And isn't it a challenge to keep track of everyone? Like how do you, uh, from a logistics standpoint, how do you do that?
4: Every runner has a bib that has an RFID tag on it. So when they cross specific areas, they scan. And then, okay, like, let's say there's a split point on the marathon. If they hit that point, we know that they're in that race because people will run a different race than they register for. So we try to take care of all that at registration by asking them, double checking them. But, you know, people don't always answer the question that you ask them. So you got to kind of figure out what's going on. And then as the day goes on or when they finish, we can tell what event that they're in. So we go from there. And then if we miss it, we've fixed it after the fact.
1: So I'm sure this has never, ever happened, but someone who's super competitive, maybe trying to qualify from the Boston Marathon. Have you ever seen it? Not at Ziegler Kalamazoo Marathon, never happens here. Have you ever seen someone try to cut the race route and shorten it just to make a time? How do you deal with that?
4: We're not so much doing the course. We're doing, we're at the start and the finish. Okay. Sometimes in the middle, you don't know know, what they did, but certain races you can put scanning stations on like the furthest out, Uh, like turnaround points to make sure that they hit it. So it's kind of like a a cheater mat that you set up out there to make sure that they, went the full distance. Yeah. And then other runners will notify you if uh, someone made a a turn at the uh, wrong point in the course. (laughs) I've
1: seen those on running websites and it turns into a pretty big deal. And look, the great thing about the Ziegler Kalamazoo Marathon, Carry, isn't it? We invite everyone to come join us. So we have, I'm sure people that are super competitive, hoping to qualify for other marathons where the timing's got to be accurate. We also have people like me and Mike that are like, we're happy to walk, Jeff, did you know there's bacon on the path? And last year there were gummy bears, right? And so everybody's going to be able to come and have a great experience. So Jeff, you introduced a new feature this year, QR codes. Tell us a little bit about the QR codes and how that impacts the uh, race day experience.
4: Sure. Every bib has a QR code on it that goes directly to that bib number's results. So if your bib number's 123, after the race, within a minute of finishing, if you shoot it, it'll show bib number 123's results. Oh, that's cool. We did this probably five, six years ago on bib numbers, but then it it kind of went away. But with COVID and the use of QR codes and menus and everyday life, it just Makes it easier than posting up uh, papers and letting people gather together and kind of keeps people separated and a, a social distancing sort of thing.
1: So, Jeff, this is awesome. This means as soon as I finish across the finish line for my three quarter mile special race, I can instantly get my phone out scan it and it'll show me my results. Exactly. Have you ever had it where that doesn't work and people get stressed out at, at the end? What should I do if it doesn't uh, give me the results immediately? Should I call you? Should I call Carrie? Should I call Mike? Maybe I'll call Mike.
4: I don't think you should call anyone. You should just okay. relax, refresh your browser, get into browser Okay. coverage and then you'll be just fine.
1: Okay. I
3: was going to say go enjoy yeah. a beer at the at the celebration. Yeah.
1: And sweet water <laughs> donuts. Don't forget that, right?
3: Right. <laughs> so we can
1: all go over to the striker uh, post party and enjoy the community and the association. What's the best part about a marathon to you, Jeff? You've got a lot going on as the marathon is happening. So there's probably a certain amount of stress that comes along with it. But at the end of the day, why do you run or why do you participate in these events? What, what does it mean to you?
4: It's not just race day for the marathoners. It's the training. I mean, they have nine to 10 training to get to that distance to make sure their legs are good, their lungs are good, and their um, mental state of mind is good to run 26.2 miles. So it's fun to see people cross the line, just how happy they are, the fun that they had or their family wishing them well wishes. So it's just a great thing to see people do.
1: Do you have a favorite year for the marathon?
4: They all kind of run together for me.
1: No pun intended, right?
4: (laughs) I see one a weekend for, you know, 50 weekends out of the year. So they're all fun. They all, have interesting story or some have bad weather or I mean there's remembrances of of each one
1: all right so Mike is going to ask you a lightning round question then Carrie, I want to come back and wrap just with a few questions uh, behind the scenes planning so
2: Mike well Jeff it's been great to get to know you first up, we got to ask where are you based out of
4: we are out of Grand Rapids
2: out of Grand Rapids area okay awesome
4: we've been scoring races since around 1987 oh okay Fantastic.
2: Just a few years. Well, lightning round, Jeff, what is uh, your favorite book or movie that you've uh, read or seen lately?
4: Probably lately is the new Top Gun. Very good movie. It's similar to the old one, but you know, a little update.
2: All right. What's something interesting about yourself that others may not know?
4: Um, I'm an avid golfer. Awesome. When I have times on the weekend.
2: Would you rather golf or run a marathon,
4: Jeff? I would rather golf.
2: Wow! Oh no! Wow. <laughs>
1: can we edit that, Sam? It, it, it,
4: I, Carrie, I, I work, I work we, marathons. I see what it. I see what it does.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, Jeff, we're so grateful to you and everything you do in helping us put together the Ziegler Kalamazoo Marathon to make that great race day event. And by the way, if there are any challenges with that QR code at the end, we'll replay the segment and let everybody know where they can go, which is <laughs> the uh, after party. So, Carrie, I know I don't want to press you. But all of our listeners are excited to learn the uh, course. Are you prepared to announce the course yet?
3: Not yet. I will say in good news, we have solidified our full and half marathon courses. Oh, nice. They are all approved by all parties, which um, really we came together this past week and has a group of, you know, 17 people to talk it over and say where do we need tweaking construction is a huge consideration for the next five years so we want to make a course that people can come back to and expect the same thing yeah so that was really hard because we were looking at where's the construction um over the next few years so we We did have to make some changes based on that, Um, but everyone, I mean, everyone's been fantastic through this process. So I will say they are solidified, the half and the full, still tweaking the 5K, the 10K, and the kids' 1K. Announcing the courses, will definitely announce on September 1, especially for the full and half marathon. Those shorter distance, again, we're kind of looking at the construction uh, details. So September 1, though, we'll be coming out with definitely a full and a half.
1: So we're excited to get the courses. Mike just has one question for you about the course, Mike. What's the question? Since Carrie knows the course, we're not going to announce it just yet, but what's your question, Mike? How
2: many hills approximately would there be, Carrie? <laughs> Ooh,
3: I haven't counted the hills, but I will say there was a suggestion of one particular steep decline than an immediate steep incline and i put the kibosh i just said nope that's not happening because uh some of the party said i think this makes everyone happy and i was like i'm really sorry but it doesn't i feel i feel better
2: already
4: (laughs) (laughs) so jeff
1: with this announcement that there's no major hills compared to last year will you run it this year with us
4: Uh, i'll run the uh three quarter of a mile marathon that you guys are talking about
1: perfect all right so, Jeff, it's you, me, and Mike. Maybe you can help us figure out how to uh, score our best times at the QR code at the. I may know end, a guy so.
4: that can help you out.
1: Awesome! That's fantastic. Well, Carrie, thanks as always for everything you're doing to get us ready for the Ziegler Kalamazoo Marathon. We'll see you tonight for the kickoff and for the run out at Gazelle Sports. Uh, We'll see everyone else online. We'll be streaming the event live. Uh, Jeff, we appreciate you. Thanks for being here on the podcast with us today. Mike, any
2: closing comments? Oh, good to go. Sign up April 22 and 23.
1: All right. Thanks, everybody. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the special edition of the Driving Vision Future of Zach Today podcast. So, Today, we are talking about the Drive for Life charity event coming up in September. And with me, co-host Lindsay Latsko. Lindsay, welcome to the show. Good morning. So, Lindsay, today we have a very special guest. We have, with the First Day Shoe Fund, we have Maggie Hesketh. Maggie, welcome to the show.
5: Thank you for having me.
1: So, Maggie, we're super excited to find out more about your charity that receives proceeds from the Drive for Life event, which is coming up. And it's worthy of note as we go into this conversation that every single penny raised during this event goes directly to the charities that benefit. There's no expense load whatsoever for the Drive for Life charity event, which is awesome. And in fact, not only that, but for every dollar that's generated, there's a dollar and a half that is matched by two anonymous uh, benefactors. So for anyone that gives $1,000, that $1,000 becomes $2,500. Pretty cool. Oh, Maggie. Yeah. So Maggie, tell us a little bit about your charity. What is your charity uh, First Day Shoe Fund do?
5: So I'm the executive director at First Day Shoe Fund, and we give out brand new athletic shoes to elementary age children who need them all across Kalamazoo County. So every fall wow. when, the kids, when the kids start to go back to school, families who need shoes fill in an order form and they say what they need. We get them packed up and we bring them out to the schools and our volunteers help the kids try on the shoes. And we make sure that every student in elementary school who needs a pair of shoes gets just the perfect pair of shoes for them.
1: That's excellent. How did this come to be? So this is very geographic specific to Uh, Kalamazoo, how did this organization come to be?
5: So in 2004, 2005, um, a lovely lady called Valerie Dengel, she was out as a volunteer tutor in some of the Kalamazoo schools. And she was down in, I think, first grade. And she noticed that some of the students were coming to school in shoes that were too big or too small. They clearly had been their big brothers or big sisters. They had holes in them. They were worn. They were falling apart. There were kids that didn't even come to school because they didn't have shoes they could wear. There were students wearing flip flops in November when the snow was coming down. And she just couldn't stand looking at it. So she started buying shoes. And so she just started buying shoes. And she would find children that the shoes would fit, and that's what she would do. And over time, she realized that it wasn't changing, and she kept buying shoes. And I often wonder what her husband must have thought when she started filling their basement (laughs) full of shoes. (laughs) Um, And it just kept growing. And so Uh. after about a year, 18 months, she um, became a certified nonprofit. So we have 501c3 status. And then it just grew from there. So, you know, it was one person, it was a grassroots charity. Somebody saw a need and decided that they should do something about it. Wow.
1: I love this because what a great charity arising out of a very specific need, just a heart of gold meeting that need on their own. And then engaging and finding ways to bring other people into it. That's awesome that she was able to fulfill that need. To your point, what did her husband think? <laughs> like all these shoes.
5: I have to ask this someday. <laughs> Unfortunately, her husband passed away a couple of years ago. I do actually still meet up with oh, no. I still meet up with Valerie. She still lives in the area. And we've met up a couple of times for lunch and to talk. And I think knowing the history of the organization is really important. It helps you know where you yeah. came from and what people used to do and how we've grown and You know, we're nearly, we'll be 20 years old in a couple of years. And I think it's great that we're still going, having been founded just by one person. And for a very long time, it was run run entirely by volunteers. There was no paid staff for the longest Mm. time. And even with that, just a board of volunteers and just volunteers doing everything, they still grew and grew and grew. And from serving 160 children in one school in 2005 we now serve 46 different elementary schools across nine education districts in the
1: county. Wow, that's amazing. And then what an impact that that has on the other side. So do you have shoe partners that you're able to uh, uh, purchase shoes from at discounted rates uh, or anything like that?
5: That is honestly the hardest. That is the <laughs> hardest part of the job. Honestly, where the shoes come from is really tricky. Um, so. I started this job on the 1st of January this year. So I'm the new executive director. And one of my first jobs was to start buying the shoes. And so I have two boys. I have two teenage boys. And I've never been able to buy like pretty girl shoes. So I really did enjoy it. It was Mm -hmm. very fun. (laughs) Um, But I learned fairly soon on that shoe companies don't necessarily want to work with charities unless you're located in... Really? Unless you're located in the city that they have a distribution warehouse in. Interesting. So the one partner we do have is with... A company up in grand rapids and they do um Sokeny running shoes and they will give us a discount on some things they have left but generally i buy shoes on the internet so my first google search every morning is kids athletic shoes yeah. on sale uh, or cheap kids and yeah. literally i go on the internet and i see who's selling what and i buy what we need so it's an awful lot of internet shopping and an awful lot of finding coupon codes and good deals and who has the best free shipping. And yeah, so this year so far, I've bought 7,500 pairs of shoes. Wow.
3: Wow! That's yeah. a lot of shoes. Lindsay,
1: Maggie knows where all the shoe deals are. No. Lindsay, where do you buy your shoes? Oh,
3: everywhere. I have, I have so many shoes. It's embarrassing. <laughs> it's bad.
1: Maggie, you know what we want to do at the podcast? We at the Driving Vision Podcast want to figure out, help you put together a distribution deal with a shoe manufacturer. Like Lindsay, think about it. Nike, well, Maggie, you talked about your husband's coming back from Oregon. That's the home of Nike. Um, what, how cool would it be to be able to have a distribution deal with one of these shoe manufacturers that would be able to send shoes directly to you for use in the charity where you're able to, rather than having to search Amazon, we, we could go uh, directly to the manufacturer. Have you have you tried that, Maggie? Have, I'm sure you probably have. We have. have Over but... the
5: 20 years, they have tried multiple times with multiple manufacturers. It's just really hard. Also, I think what people don't realize is how expensive running shoes generally are. Um, Our budget for for a pair of shoes right now, my average price is $16 a pair. It's almost impossible to buy those at that price. So, you know, I do spend a lot of time shopping around, finding out who has the best deals, who's got, you know, clearance shoes from different styles from last year. But, you know, a lot of places like Nike, their shoes go for over $100 a pair. So even at cost buying shoes, we need to find some very generous shoe manufacturer who really wants to help us out. So if anyone out there knows We'd anyone, want to help you with that. anyone knows anyone, you send them to me.
1: I'm here to tell you, Maggie. Lindsay's one of the most ingenuitive, creative thinking people I know.
3: Well, we should do a shoe drive. We
1: should do a shoe drive. Have you ever done that? Have you ever done like a uh, holiday shoe drive where people drop off shoes? We do.
5: We have done, especially when we were, uh, I say younger, but newer in the process. We did do a lot of shoe drives. Biggest yeah. thing, yeah. and I think it's like with food banks. You know, people donate things to food banks and sometimes it's not necessarily the perfect thing they need. We just have very specific shoe needs. So they have to be brand new. They have to be athletic. Mm -hmm. They can't be canvas. And so very often, like I know right now that I need to buy more boys size four shoes, but I have more women's size eight shoes than I'm going to need for two years so, for us, it's about yeah. very specific needs, and shoe drives are great, don't get me wrong. And we love getting shoes, and it's really sweet when people have shoe drives for their birthday, yeah. or we've had one from a wedding, and yeah. those kind of things. But sometimes, um, money's easier because then we just buy exactly what we need right that makes sense yeah
1: so where do you uh, store all these shoes do you have a big shoe rack somewhere where uh, you, you keep the shoes is it in Kalamazoo there what what do you have
5: we do we actually have an office we're very lucky we we used to operate out of a closet in a school and we used
3: to, of course yeah
5: when we first started it was very small and as we grew and grew yeah uh, we now have our own building in the north of Portage just backing onto Kalamazoo and we have all our shoes stored there. When shoes come in, we order them, they come in, and we have volunteers that come and unpack them so we don't keep them in the boxes. Mm. They take up way too much space.
1: Yeah, less space. So we unpack them and we
5: tie them together, and and then we put them in giant crates by their size. So our warehouse is just full of about 10,000 pairs of shoes right now.
1: Wow, Wow. and then so what's your cycle? Do you hand them out? Like at the beginning of the year, middle of the year, or do you wait until the need happens? How do you decide where, when, and then what does that process of handing those shoes over look like?
5: We do it at the start of the year. Originally, we were called First Day Shoe Fund because the kids got their shoes in time for the first day of school.
1: Oh, that's neat. Of course.
5: They were actually handed out in summer school. So the kids that went to summer school in Kalamazoo would have them at summer school. The problem came once we moved to the other districts and not everybody has summer school and not every child that needs shoes would have gone to that program. So now we, right. we open ordering. Last year was the first time we did online ordering. We moved away from pieces of paper. So this year we open our ordering on August 22nd and it's open for three weeks. And then after three weeks, we close it down and then we get the shoes packed up and out to the schools the last week of September, first week of October. Okay.
1: So, what's it like? Have, are you part of that process where you bring the shoe into the school and, and you give these to the kids? What, what, what does that look like? And what does that mean to you to be there to present these kids to shoes that are so needed?
5: It, it is the best part of the year. And it's been really hard the last two years because of COVID. We haven't been allowed to do that. So, I originally joined mm-hmm. First Day Shoe Fund in 2019 as a volunteer. So, I did. I went out to the shoe, shoe days in the school, and it's super cute. These kids come down, they're so excited. Um, to try on their new shoes and another cool thing and we do need to mention one of our very good community partners is that every year we get enough socks donated by Bombus so that every kid gets a new pair of mm. socks as well
1: oh wow that's neat
5: and those are great socks it is it's super cute because often the kids come especially in September they're not wearing socks so in order to try on the shoes it yeah. is important to put on a pair of socks they put on their shoes and they are just so excited sometimes they're like they don't fit and then we have to play swap out your shoe games and You know, sometimes we have to go through a few pairs till we find one that fits the child. But it is the cutest thing. Yeah, they're so excited. It's just, it is the sweetest thing. And our volunteers love to go out and see that happening.
1: Yeah. Any stories of kids that have benefited from a pair of these shoes that uh, has made it back your way, Maggie?
5: For sure. Every year we send out a survey after we do distribution so that um, families can tell us, you know, they give us advice as well. So sometimes they say, we think you should do this instead. And sometimes we take their advice and that's how our program develops. But last year, we got some lovely um, stories back from the families, and one family told us that their husband had lost his job, which was their only income, Mm. right before the start of the school year, and they couldn't afford to buy shoes for their son. And they told us that the program was just a huge blessing for the family, and they didn't know how they would have been able to get shoes for their son otherwise. There was a really sweet one about a mom who wrote back to us, and she said, that her daughter really loved her shoes it was her first pair of tie shoes she'd never had tie shoes before and we gave her shoes um, with very long laces and it made it easier to tie mm. them so you know it gave her more confidence and more independence um, so we, we hear a lot of stories and it is it makes things really great I mean there's very few places where you can actually see the money that people donate going directly to someone and um, this mm-hmm. is one of those
1: places yeah. That's great, and, and and you know the anxiety and the stress as a parent of maybe not having just enough to be able to put a pair of shoes on a kid at the beginning of the school year. You think about how quickly kids go through shoes, Maggie. Like my kids do the skateboard thing and the basketball thing, and by the end of summer, you know you, you've gone through between growing and all the other activities, you've gone through a pair or two of shoes, and the stress and pressure that creates for a parent that loves their kids is all parents do and wants the best for their kids. The kids show up to that first day of school with either shoes that just don't fit uh, or fit poorly to be able to give that to them. What a great thing.
5: It is, and and I was gonna say, we also get stories from our teachers. So we serve 46 different schools and in every school we have what's called a site coordinator. So it's a member of staff or the school secretary or a counselor or somebody that helps us on the other end. And every year they tell us things too. And, you know, it's really sad. I mean, they see these children every day, so they know these kids and these families way better than we ever will. And one of our site coordinators, she just told us that, you know, students who get these shoes are just so excited to try them on when they arrive. And it's so heartwarming to see their faces light up when their shoes fit. Most of the time they don't even want to take them off. Our students and families are just so blessed. And one lady told us how important it was that students say how good their feet feel which allows them to concentrate on school instead of the pain in their feet. And to think that kids like have sore feet because their shoes don't fit is just really sad. So it's something, it's a little thing we can do that helps make people's lives better.
1: So Maggie, if I'm a member of the community and I wanna support this, obviously one way I can do it is giving to the Drive for Life uh, event, which is upcoming. And we're excited to support that, but also if I want to get engaged or involved, are there other ways I can help to support First Day Shoe Fund, Maggie?
5: There are. There's lots and lots of ways. If you want to come out in person and work with us, we're always looking for volunteers. So since January when I started, we've had volunteers in the building at least once or twice a month unpacking shoes, inventorying shoes. They're there every week, and they're great, and they come out and help us, and they can see what we do. We're also obviously looking for volunteers for our distribution. So we're looking for people who either want to come to our building and help pack up the shoes or people that want to go out into the schools and help give out the shoes. The easiest way to find out about that is to sign up for our e-newsletter. I write a newsletter twice a month and email it out Um, and people can sign up to receive that. So if you go to our website, which is how do you sign up? As I say, if you go to our website, it's firstdayshoefund.org. Scroll all the way to the bottom. and There's a little form you can fill in at the bottom that you can sign up for our newsletter. And that will give you information about what volunteering is coming up, what we're doing, um, you know, other ways you can get involved. So volunteers are great and we love having them. And they are what makes our organization work. We couldn't do it without them. Um, You can obviously donate to us directly. We accept financial donations all year long. And right now, the other way is if anyone out there has a local business or is part of an organization that would like to sponsor a school, we're still looking for 10 school sponsors. So my aim when I took this job was to get every school a sponsor this year and I have 10 of the 46 left. So it's pretty good, it's not bad. Mm. It um, and the school sponsors yeah. basically donate an amount of money that helps us to buy the shoes that go directly to those children at that school. Um, and the sponsor's name is listed on our social media, on our website, and also on information that goes home to the families. So if you know a company sponsors the shoes, the parents know where some of the money came from. And that's a really great way for local businesses to get involved in what we do.
1: That's excellent. Well, we appreciate you sharing that with us and allowing us and our audience an opportunity to uh, help support this incredibly important cause. You know, Lindsay, it's interesting on the history of the podcast, I can only think of, there's something unique and different about Maggie that sets Maggie apart from all the other guests we've ever had on the podcast. Mm -hmm. Lindsay, what is that? Do you know?
3: Is it her great accent? (laughs)
1: <laughs> what? Where are you from, Maggie? Yeah. You have an incredible You're accent. I'm from <laughs> Kalamazoo.
3: <laughs> no, I'm not from
5: Kalamazoo. I'm from Birmingham in England. Uh, we moved here. Wow. We moved here 11 years ago. My husband got a job at Stryker. so I mo- We moved okay. over here with our one-year-old and our four-year-old, who are now middle school and high schoolers. And although yeah. they lost their accent very early on, no, yes, oh, I'm really, so sad. Okay. Yeah, I'm so sad. And I, I keep telling my sons they might want to've kept that to like, you know, it's cool. Yeah, this Midwest accent is not great. <laughs> they have they have a no. very they have a very mixed American English accent with some interesting words that and their spelling is different than my spelling, obviously. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, we still have we have Less... the accent. It's not going anywhere.
1: Both you and your husband. So your husband sounds like James Bond and Ooh, you have no. this wonderfully uh wonderful No? Okay. <laughs>
5: no, he's from Liverpool. No. There's never been a James Bond from oh. Liverpool. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, really? Okay. So are there different, uh, this is interesting. I didn't know this. Are there different English accents? Yeah. Just like there are different American accents. There's a Southern. Okay. And, okay. and where's James, where's the James Bond accent coming from? He's
5: from London. He just has a general English, like Queen's English accent. This is not <laughs> Queen's English accent. Okay. So literally every town, okay. every village has their own accent.
1: Okay. So you've been here for a while and will you stay? Like is Kalamazoo home?
5: It is. We have green cards now, finally, so we can stay. It took a long time, but we have them. Um, And we love it here. The kids are happy here. They do all the sports and activities that, you know, you have in American schools. So, yeah, we love it here. Your kids were up
1: at Mackinac Island. There can't be anything better Michigan than right. Mackinac Island and enjoying part of summer up there. And and Maggie, how great to be a part of uh, Michigan with your wonderful accent to provide that uh, little bit of uh, diversity in the world. So, Lindsay, you and I are going to work on this shoe deal. I think you and I, if we put our heads together, we can figure out turning. how to reach Phil Knight or uh, some other shoe manufacturer. We could help supercharge this. Now, here's the deal, Maggie. If we put this deal together, first day shoe fund needs to come outside of uh, Outside of Kalamazoo, because I've got to believe that there are, are is is need in the Chicagoland area, which our stores are in. Is is there a similar charity uh, on the other side of the pond there <laughs> that are, we there call are, uh, Lake Michigan? There
5: are. So we're the one for Kalamazoo County. There's one in Grand Rapids. There's a couple in Detroit. I think there's one in Traverse City. There's definitely more than one in Chicago. We've been in touch. Oh, I've been in touch with a few different ones around the country to see how they do it. But we, most of us are single, one-off organisations, and when we apply for funding, we apply mostly for grants for, from organisations within Kalamazoo County, and that's why we stay where we are. Um, and also, there are okay. so many children in Kalamazoo County. Uh, we have a staff mm-hmm. of one and a half. We have a part-time wow. person too, just recently. So for just yeah. us to do more than Kalamazoo County would be Extremely challenging, but I know there's other great organizations like us out there doing similar work.
1: Yeah, well, if you would, we would love the contact info for that part in the Chicagoland, Lindsay. Wouldn't it be great to get our stores working yep. together with with those across there, Lindsay?
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I was going to ask too, Maggie. You said, um, you know, I'm sure there's always a need for volunteers. If we had, you know, Sundays are our biggest, are where everybody's off, but people have a variety of day offs. But, you know, if we did like a kind of a corporate day where we got a, you know, big group of people from our um, stores to volunteer for the day, is that something that would benefit you guys? Or is it more of a longer term? I mean, I'm sure there's a longer term need, but is is there something like that that we could put
5: together? Yeah, we do that too, Um, especially in the spring this year when we had most of our shoes coming in. We did have big groups. Um, My husband brought in a a big group from Stryker. We've had like groups from Wings Event Center. They come in on a regular basis. We've worked with them. We have, yeah, we have definitely corporate groups all come together. We had a group from CalSec a few weeks ago. They come in and they, we pick a day and then we find something that they can work on. And yeah, we do that quite a lot.
3: Okay, yeah, maybe we can set something like that up too in the future here. Yeah, that would be great.
1: Yeah, that would be excellent. What a great uh, charity. And then will you be there, Maggie, in September uh, for Drive for Life? Will you join us that night?
3: Yes, probably.
5: If I know what, I did not know the date, I'm going to be honest. But September, as you can imagine, is our busy days because we're in schools giving out shoes.
1: Yep. So it's September 12th. Write this down. September 12th. We'd love to see you there. And Maggie, Lindsay and I will seek you out by the accent. So just uh, yes. <laughs> speak a lot. We'll find the English accent and we'll uh, we'll track you down there. So Maggie, we appreciate you being on the show. Lindsay, thanks for being here as well. And uh, and, and we look forward to finding ways to uh, continue to contribute and support the uh, First Day Shoe Fund. And as well, re- remember everyone, as we approach uh, September 12th and the Drive for Life charity event, not only does every dollar go directly to these charities we're featuring as part of this series, But uh, due to the generosity of of an anonymous uh, benefactor, those are more than doubled. So a $1,000 donation turns into $2,500 as a result. And Maggie, I think you can buy a lot of shoes for $2,500, especially if uh, Lindsay helps secure this uh, deal with uh, Phil Knight. Lindsay (laughs) and I will go work on that. So Maggie, Lindsay, we appreciate you all. Uh, Thanks for being here. Thanks to all who participated in this week's episode. Remember to join us Monday, August 1st, as we live stream from Gazelle Sports in downtown Kalamazoo, Michigan, the race registration. Then join us Sunday, August 7th at Michigan's MIS Racetrack, as we live stream a special day with NASCAR, Ziegler Auto Group, and Michigan State's Mel Tucker and Tom Izzo. We're excited to have you join us online. Until then, how are you driving vision Today.